The second reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 15, wherein Joseph has an unexpected encounter with his brothers who had sold him into slavery years before. Please prepare your hearts to hear God's love story, his reveal of purpose, and the blessings of forgiveness. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am your brother Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. So dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that this is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. While Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Lyle. Please pray with me. May the meditations of our hearts together this morning upon your word to us in scripture, in song, and in fellowship be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, from a structural point of view, if not an experiential point of view, it's worth noting or uh, pausing to remind ourselves that weeping and sobbing and crying and wailing bookend this text this morning. It begins with crying and it ends with crying. That's what happens when relationships uh, 
are broken or when we must part from one another. It also happens when we're reconciled with, when we, with each other, when we see each other again. The, the players in this story, particularly the brothers who haven't seen each other in so long, are hurting, each in their own way, all together, especially Joseph, who is the protagonist in this text in the 45th chapter of Genesis, are longing for the restoration of a relationship that once was but has been no more, was, it seemed, irretrievably broken. There's almost nothing more painful when a relationship ends. For whatever reason, when we have to part, or when uh, someone causes the relationship to end, we grieve its loss, the change that has come. And it always is worse, though, when one side decides to end or hurt the other person so much that the relationship uh, is broken and is no more. Now, I'm a big Eagles fan. You know, the, not the, the bird. I like the bird. But I, mean, I mean the band. Um, I'm not going to any more Eagles concerts, though, because not only is the band getting older, every time I go to one, the people at the concert seem to be getting older and older. I can't, I can't be there with those people. <laughs> of course, Don Henley, one of the founders and lead singers uh, of the Eagles, um, also had a solo career, and one of my favorite songs is entitled The Heart of the Matter. It goes like this, I'm learning to live without you now, but I miss you sometimes. The more I know, the less I understand. All the things I thought I knew, I'm learning again. I've been trying to get down to the heart of the matter, but my will gets weak and my thoughts seem to scatter, but I think it's about forgiveness. Forgiveness, even if you don't love me anymore. That kind of forgiveness is hard. Christianity, and in particular Reformed Protestant Christianity like, like ours, like the Presbyterian faith, proclaims a God in relationship, not just a God out there or up there or apart from us ontologically, but rather a God who exists within God's self in relationship, but also with us, with the world. So we need to get along with each other, not just because it helps us to get along and to cooperate and live, but because we are made to be in relationship, one with the other, but also with our maker, which makes what the brothers did to Joseph, the ten older half-brothers, all the more terrible and, I can say it, unforgivable as we read this story. Now, maybe you remember the story of how Joseph got down to Egypt. But before we get into it, just let's remind ourselves, relationships end. That is the nature of relationships. I can tell you that as a military brat all the time. Hello and goodbye. But it's even harder when one or both parties destroys the relationship either intentionally or unintentionally. And all of us, as we look back at our own stories, can think of those moments when a relationship which is so precious ends, we tend to blame the other. Joseph is the 11th son of the patriarch Jacob, who is also named Israel, which means, by the way, strives with God. Joseph is the first son of Jacob's second wife, Rachel. And he is kind of his father's favorite, and he knows it. Joseph is a little full of himself, 
And he tells his dreams, he's kind of a diviner of dreams, to his older brothers, the sons of Jacob's first wife, Leah, in which in Joseph's dreams, these older brothers will bow down to him, and they don't like that very much, coming from their uppity little brother. And so when he's 17 years old, and his father Jacob's makes Joseph a coat of many colors, or another translation is a coat with nice long sleeves, a coat which shows favor, because he is their father's favorite, and because they're jealous, and because they want to put him in his place, his older brothers take Joseph, beat him, are prepared to leave him for dead if older brother Reuben hadn't stepped in, and they instead sell him to slave traders who are on their way south. He ends up in Egypt. He ends up uh, as a prisoner at first. And while Joseph is on his way down to Egypt, his brothers take his coat of many colors or his long-sleeved coat they dip it in the blood of a wild boar and they take it back home and show it to their father and said he was killed by a wild animal. They lie to their father. Joseph, as a prisoner, as a slave, somehow survives. He is, uh, becomes better known because of his ability to interpret dreams. Pretty soon the Pharaoh relies on Joseph and his prediction and understanding and interpretation of dreams. And soon Joseph rises to the highest non-Egyptian office in the land. He becomes the vizier of Egypt or the prime minister, even though he is a foreigner, a Hebrew. There's a famine in the entire Mediterranean basin and up in what would later become the land of Israel, named after Jacob and his 12 sons, the 12 tribes. Jacob hears that Pharaoh's right-hand man down in Egypt, some guy named Joe, has been able to manage their food supply in some ingenious way, and they're the only country, the only area that has any food. So Jacob sends his now 11 remaining sons, because a younger son, Benjamin, is also with them now, down to Egypt by food. And that is where we have this encounter in our text this morning in Genesis 45, where Joseph can't control his emotions anymore. He knows who his brothers are. They don't know who he is. And he makes the big reveal to them in this text today, the climax of this Joseph cycle in the book of Genesis. And he wept so loudly, the Genesis writer tells us, that the Egyptians heard it. The whole household of Pharaoh heard Joseph crying. And while he was sobbing, Joseph says to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? But his brothers can't answer them. They are so dumbfounded, they are so stunned they are so terrified because the chickens might be ready to come home to roost right about now. What will this incredibly important, powerful man, their little brother from so long ago, do to them now that he has them in his power now that he can get revenge? When Joseph sees all his older half-brothers, those whom he grew up, those whom he grew up with, and especially when he sets eyes on his full brother, his little brother, Benjamin, Joseph makes it clear to them. He breaks that awkward silence and reassures them by saying, I am your brother, Joseph. You know, the one you were so jealous of, you tried to kill and sold to slave traders. But then an even bigger reveal comes. And now don't be distressed. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. 
don't even be angry with yourselves anymore because you sold me into slavery in Egypt. He keeps reminding them what they did, which is good. He says, forgive yourself. It's as important as me forgiving you. Why would Joseph do such a thing? It doesn't make sense. It is counterintuitive, really, uh, because if anybody has a right to be extremely angry, it's Joseph. And it is the perfect opportunity for Joseph in all of his power and in his advantageous position now to even the scales. Which is a story, a repeated human story, over and over again, starting on the playground. Nearly every day around the world, you could have two 10-year-olds, fourth or fifth graders, getting into it during recess. Somebody says, he did this to me, so I did that to him. And then, then it starts devolving and spiraling downward from there. When they get back to class, Billy trips Joey. And after lunch, Joey breaks Billy's pencil on purpose. And when nobody is looking, Billy writes on Joey's desk. And later, Joey steals Billy's folder. After school, Billy and his friends face Joey and his friends out in the schoolyard. They call each other's names. Somebody gets hurt. And time after time, we see this repeated again and again. And there's no telling where these conflicts ever end. The eternal struggle is always to even the scales, to get the last word in, the last hit in. In a book aptly entitled, He Hit Me First, the author Steve Mullen says, we have all experienced this sort of escalating pettiness and desire to get even, and we readily admit that it is silly. But I would suggest to you that we can remove the names Billy and Joey and insert the words husband and wife or partner and partner, and the story is the same, or we could insert the names of two rival high schools. It's true, I still hate University High School, still do. Or two rival companies, or the Hatfields and the McCoys, or the Republicans and Democrats, or pro-life and pro-choice, or Israel and Palestine, Ukrainian and Russian, American and almost any Arab nation, you pick the one name. Conflict at any level is conflict, and it is human nature to want to get even, get the last word in, even the scales. But unfortunately, that is self, not only self-perpetuating, but devolving and disintegrating and destructive. But what Joseph does here today is break that cycle. He decides not to do what he can do or even what he should do, not to do what he has every right to do, not to retaliate, not to get even, not to let his older brothers know how much they hurt him, not to let them hurt a little in return, but to forgive them. It's almost like a death to let go of the desire to get even, to say what you have to say. And if, when we do that, we have to trust that there's something on the other side of that death. In a sermon written in a Georgia jail that he preached just after the bus protest in Montgomery, Alabama, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this about forgiveness and loving your enemies. Of course, King said, loving your enemies and forgiving them is not practical. Life is a matter of getting even, of hitting back, of dog eat dog. My friends, we have followed the so-called practical way for too long. It has led us inexorably to deeper confusion and chaos and sadness. Time is cluttered with the wreckage of communities which surrendered to hatred and violence. 
for the salvation of our nation and the salvation of humankind, we must follow another way, he said. This does not mean that we abandon our righteous efforts. With every ounce of our energy, we must continue to rid this nation of the incubus of segregation, but we shall not in the process relinquish our privilege and our obligation to love. While abhorring segregation, we shall love the segregationist. While hating racism, we shall love the racist. This is the only way to create the beloved community. Those are still hard words to hear 50 years later. Prevailing wisdom is that hurt and reconciliation uh, can only uh, happen in succession when a wrong is made right and the scales are evened. When you get a chance to tell your story, to say all the ways that you've suffered, when they apologize enough or sincerely enough, when they don't roll their eyes when they're apologizing to you. That ever happen? When we have the chance for some kind of revenge, but it is a long wait to get what we really need. And there are the intense drama and emotions in this story today show us that it's impossible really to even the scale so that we find some kind of peace, some kind of contentment. When there's so much water under the bridge, there's so many tangled relationships and interactions and stories to untangle. But we see in the story today from Genesis that there are consequences when relationships are broken, consequences, consequences we can't manage or control. We also know that there is assurance that comes from forgiveness that we can build the rest of our lives on. Joseph says, I forgive you, forgive yourselves, and now go get my father and bring him here. We act on this assurance that we get in being forgiven. And most of all, we can do what Joseph did. If we want to really forgive, we can learn to see God in the midst of all that has happened to us in our own story, in our story of relationships and broken relationships and reconciled relationships. The author of Genesis this morning wants us to know that when we see tragedy and change of plans and anger, when we have fear, when we have fantasies of revenge, when we're confused and hurt, he, the author, sees God at work. God, he sees God preserving life, even when we can't see it. They say that success is the best revenge, but Joseph decided to not take that route. Instead, he realized, after probably living out fantasies of revenge for years and years against his brothers, that a display of power and strength and wealth just would not be enough to heal. And that healing, that restoration and reconciliation of his relationship with his brothers is what he really, really wanted. And we can see by his sobbing from start to finish that what Joseph really wanted just to be back in his brother's lives again, to have his brothers back again. He gets Jacob and he gets those, all the 12 sons down to Egypt so that later there could be an exodus back up to Israel. And the Jewish people could be formed. And of course, from the Christian point of view, we're very grateful for this story because this is where Jesus Christ himself came from, from this tenuous, dramatic story of forgiveness. Everything hinged on Joseph's willingness to forgive his brothers. Terence Fretheim, a Genesis scholar, says what God does here 
And what Joseph does is to set aside the trappings of royalty and humble himself in the face of the decisive reality within this larger series of events that has led to life and well-being. Joseph sees somehow that God is at work in all of this, and he's willing to put that in front of his own need for revenge. When we forgive, whether the ones who hurt us in the past or the ones who haven't yet hurt us in the future, we liberate ourselves, and we liberate them from the shackles and the bonds of regret and remorse and guilt. And most of all, we let ourselves become part of what God is doing right here, right now, rebuilding the universe, tikkun olam, rebuilding the world. Our forgiveness is part of God's restorative work, God's loving the world, starting right now. Our bulletin today is begun with a quote from N.T. Wright, the famous New Testament scholar. Listen to what he says about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a moral rule that comes with sanctions attached. Forgiveness is a way of life, God's way of life, God's way to life. And that is why we pray, forgive us our trespasses or our debts, more biblically accurate, as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is not a bargain we make with God. It is a fact of human life, N.T. Wright says, not to forgive is to shut down a faculty in the innermost person, which happens to be the same faculty that can receive God's forgiveness. It also happens to be the same faculty that can experience real joy and real grief. In other words, to be really alive. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and love endures all things. Amen. Amen.